You're listening to the Island Health Podcast from Mount Desert Island Hospital with Oka Hutchins. My name is Justin Starbird. We're coming to you from beautiful Bar Harbor, Maine, giving you tips on wellness, community, and service to help you live a more healthy life. Welcome back to the Island Health Podcast. You're listening to part two of the myths surrounding diabetes. My name is Justin Starbird, and as always, I'm joined by Oka Hutchins, and she and I are speaking with Amory Gray, the registered dietitian, and Patty Zavaleta, registered nurse. She's also the diabetes educator and care manager here at MDI Hospital. We're going to dive back in as we talk about the emotional elements behind diabetes and how to cope. <laughs> And there's a strong, strong tie between um, food, the food we eat, and the emotions we feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Amory and I, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Amory, at times when, when we start digging into why people eat the way they eat and how we participate in self-care behaviors, we can touch on some pretty um, emotional stuff Absolutely. in our offices. Yeah. yeah. I always say to people, you know, I, I can, I can go into therapy land a little bit, but you know, that's a lot of times I'll encourage that, you know, do or ask someone, do you have someone to talk to about this? Or maybe we need to set up an appointment to just um, really go further into this relationship that you have with food and see if we can better it or identify areas that you're struggling with um, because it is really emotionally tied. Is it uh, is that really common? Is the emotional tie like that really common? Yeah, I would say, you know, in the, the years I've been doing this, um, I think I, I will even say to people probably about 85% of the time I'm, I'm suggesting, you know, someone maybe reach out to a professional who can delve into the uh, therapy piece about that or the emotional piece further than I can, because I can go into it a little bit, but there are people who are trained to really focus on food and emotions a lot more about- thoroughly. How about the diagnosis itself? Like when, when somebody is diagnosed, do you see that, you know, propel them into a depression or are they already, yeah, or are you already there? Yeah, I think Patty, I don't know if you want to touch on this, you know, more, but I think definitely there's some stages of grief that happen when someone's diagnosed with this. Absolutely. That's, and so when I do my group classes or we do our group classes, um, we we dedicate a, a portion of classes to talking a little bit about emotions that are common um, surrounding diabetes. And I really look at um, the, the grieving process because really it it is, you are being reminded of your mortality a little bit to be diagnosed with, with a disease. Um, and there is a little bit of grieving because that life is, is going to change now as far as needing to monitor your blood sugars and, and planning your meals a little more carefully. Um, and so depression is a part of that grief. But typically, you know, the first stage of grief is really denial. And that's where I see people asking, can I reverse it? Can I cure it? Um, or a bit about an A1C and a hemoglobin A1C is a blood test we do to diagnose and, and um, kind of figure out diabetes, how well it's controlled. Um, and it's actually a three month average. It's, it's um, you know, this number is acquired o- over time. And so um, sometimes people say, well, that number's high because I ate such and such the night before. That's not how that lab works. 
um, but they kind of want to say, well, no, not really. I, we should get another one just in case. You know, it's, it's sometimes, particularly for people who don't have a lengthy family history, it's hard. It, it's a mm -hmm. hard diagnosis to hear. Um, but I think um, what I like to tell people, and this is my own language, you know, I say, you know, we call diabetes a disease. I like to really um, kind of look at it like a very controllable condition. Because when we look at the disease part of diabetes, what we're really looking at is uncontrolled diabetes. So when we talk about kidneys failing or a, a, maybe an, um, a limb that has to be amputated, those things happen when diabetes is uncontrolled. People with well-controlled diabetes can live long, healthy lives. I like to um, talk about how Mary Tyler Moore recently passed away and um, she had type 1 diabetes and lived to a ripe old age. So, you know, um, diabetes is, is in no way a death sentence. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that Mary Tyler Moore had type 1? No, that's amazing. I Yeah, I have all my like celebrities that I know who have diabetes uh, like in my head like Halle Berry has type 2. Oh wow. I know and there's a classic example of we would think she should be overweight right? Yeah yeah. Well <clears throat> so does that come into she also exercises quite a bit I know one of the things that we were talking about uh, earlier was mm -hmm. you know which comes first the diet or the exercise. Right right well I think I, you can look at it that way. You can definitely approach this just through diet first, just through exercise first. I think ultimately, you know, I do say to people, eventually we're going to have to do these things together because that's going to help you the most. Um, but I think it's really asking the person what they're willing to work on first. Some people, they haven't been active and so they're not really interested in trying anything right away. Um, or maybe they want to see their weight come down a little bit before they feel comfortable you know, getting into stretchy pants and, you know, getting to the gym. Um, and then you've got people who really aren't ready to make changes about food. And so we, we focus on the exercise piece. Um, I think you can definitely do both things uh, or one at a time, but definitely they're both really important. Yeah. And they work sort of in different ways mm -hmm. too, as far as controlling the diabetes exercise really um, helps control some another aspect to diabetes something a lot of people don't think about is that um, so when I mentioned that we can store sugar for later so we don't have to eat all the time your body puts stored sugar out um, in a variety of ways under a variety of circumstances completely without your permission um, it's entirely possible to have high blood sugars and not have eaten anything all day long because your body's you know, releasing stored sugar. And um, that's, you know, I, I see when people exercise, that stored sugar is then used um, through act, physical activity. And it, it's kind of amazing to see. Emery and I both worked with a patient where I actually, you know, we had to talk about taking some insulin away when they started exercising. It was amazing. It was so um, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so I know we've talked about some of the barriers, you know, to be emotional, food, there's maybe lack of education about what foods are good. Are there other barriers that people face when trying to manage diabetes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many. <laughs> so many. One of the big ones is insulin affordability. You know, that's something 
that um, I'm sure you've heard quite a lot about insulin, so expensive, but even just medication affordability. Yep. Um, Getting to appointments big. too. I mean, we have a, a big population of um, fishermen in the area, and so we often have to be very flexible with our schedules in terms of working with their um, long hours and, you know, when can we get them in for classes or appointments for that support? Yep. You've you got to think of the fishing season and yeah. just know that it's going to be, you're going to do what you can on the off season and then just know that there's going to be months and months that go by where you're not really going to hear from them because they're committed to making that money. Mm -hmm. so. What for the uh, you know speaking of uh, you know being flexible like that for for the locals and uh, you know meeting the needs of you know local business uh, men or women that are that are being diagnosed. What other kind of programs do you actually offer um, to help promote diabetes education and and uh, self awareness about uh, in and around uh, the diagnosis? So. We, um, we have our diabetes education program, um, which we have three diabetes nurses. Is that correct, Patty? Yes. yes. And then me and Sherry Hall and Sherry Rogers. Um, and the, these programs are sort of centered in clinics. I'm at Trenton yep. Health Center. Sherry Hall's and Cooper Gilmore Health Center. And Sherry Rogers is a community health center. Yeah, so we try to tackle different areas um, of the island. Um, and then I'm also doing outpatient counseling and I actually travel all over. So I'm in Bar Harbor, I'm in Southwest, I'm in Trenton. Um, we're actually looking to potentially get me into some other health centers as well. So they get that opportunity to meet not only with the nurse to focus on, um, you know, the medication piece, the emotional piece, um, education around um, potential complications. Uh, they meet with me to go over food and I try to provide you know, support, not just education. I think we both do really, um, you know, giving the education, but allowing them to sort of talk about what things they want to work on and trying to help them as much as possible. Part of our program also provides um, diabetes education classes. So it's, a, is it nine weeks, Patty, or eight weeks? I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's eight, it's eight weeks. I'm looking yes. at the, the calendar right now. So there's eight weeks. Um, each week we meet for a class um, in every health center um, or the Trenton Community Health Center in Bar Harbor. We have locations for the classes and they, the times vary. So we have like a midday one. We have, I think the other two are evening classes um, and they're offered, you know, to try to account for, you know, people who don't want to drive at night or, you know, have work that they have to do during the day. And that really provides a lot of extra support not only with us, but with their peers too, which I think is really fun because, you know, being able to talk with other people who are living with it and going through it, um, it's, you know, it's just so incredible to watch people connect and give advice to each other. So there's, you know, we, we support people, but we try to encourage that they're supporting each other as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, you can feel very isolated when you have diabetes, um, particularly if no one else in your family does. Um, and because there's so much, um, you know, so much socialization in how we eat and, and, uh, so to have to change that can, can, can make people feel pretty isolated. 
so our group classes follow topics that, um, you know, the topics that we discuss, this is, this is something that the American Diabetes Association, through which we are accredited, um, requires us to address these topics, um, you know, in our diabetes self-management education program. But um, how we address these topics is actually unique to each group. Um, you know, we do have a, a pretty good presentation, but the group kind of takes on a life of its own. And, um, you know, if people really, uh, you know, we have a group class that's more newly diagnosed people, we may spend less time talking about insulin and more time talking about, you know, food or exercise. Um, or we may have a lot of veterans in the class um, you know, we've had diabetes a long time, and, and we are talking about insulin a little bit more. But no matter what is going on, we really have a, a, this sense of camaraderie in the group. And we always do evaluations after classes. And one of the most common comments I see is, you know, I don't feel so alone anymore, or I realize I'm not the only one with diabetes. So the group classes are just phenomenal. And how do people access these services? How do you find a group class and sign up? And is there a cost involved? So um, most people who attend group classes are initially referred to the diabetes program through their primary care doctor. So we do require the referral process um, through the primary care doctor because, you know, um, part of that process is we look at eligibility and insurance and we kind of go over that with patients so they, you know, they're aware if there is any financial obligation. So it, billing is typically done through insurance and there is a cost to the diabetes self-management education classes and, and that cost varies depending on insurance coverage. We do have... Um I don't know if it's okay to plug this, but I do know, like, we try to work with people um, if, if there is concern, like, if we can get them hooked up with our financial department to do, like, the free care cost share program. Um, we try not to leave anyone high and dry, as, as I always say. You know, we really want to support people as much as possible. Well, that's, that's really great, especially where you live in a community full of, you know, so many different socioeconomic backgrounds and, and um you know, lifestyles. Uh, Oka, is there anything else that we wanted to add today or ask them today? I, yeah, I just wanted to ask, um, well, two things actually. First, how common is diabetes? And then secondly, why do you think these myths around diabetes continue to persist? Hmm. So I think the prevalence in Hancock County is about 9% for people with type 2 diabetes. So that's something I like people to know. Um, it's pretty common. And in fact, it's becoming more and more common. You know, the CDC is, will describe it as an epidemic. You know, it's, it's becoming more and more common to see people diagnosed with diabetes. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why the myths persist. Um, I mean, maybe because this, the diabetes education, um, though it's been around for a while, I, I think it's only now that, um, you know, especially through MDI where we have our patient-centered medical home and we're all really connecting to support a patient that we're able to really um, get to speak with the providers about what we're doing. And then they, you know, when they do have someone who's diagnosed that might be struggling with something, they can, oh, yep, we've got this program. Let's get them into it. Um, so I think that 
some of the myths are probably persisting because the education or the support hasn't been there in the past. Um, but my hope is that we're, you know, putting a little dent in that maybe by trying to get more people in to work with them and support them. Absolutely. I think like so many things out there that people kind of, kind of sort of understand, there's a, the newer something is to you, um, the more you may feel you have a true grasp on it. Um, but the more you learn about something, the more you realize that it's not as, as simple as you think it is. And I think with diabetes, um, like with many, you know, stereotypes people have in their heads, they, you know, they say, oh, well, so-and-so's overweight and they have diabetes and so-and-so doesn't take care of themselves and they have diabetes. And so a lot of these myths come out that way. Um, like I said, we all know it has something to do with food. Um, so I, I think though providing education helps people to recognize that it is a little more complicated and that certainly, you know, the things that get in the way of taking care of your diabetes are things that get in the way of taking yourself, uh, taking care of yourself in general. Um, so we try and help knock those barriers down and then also knock down stereotypes and myths um, to help people, you know, really um, do the best they can to take care of themselves. I think also definitely, you know, we try to support people that way, but we're fighting against the internet a lot too. That's probably where some of these myths are persisting. Um, Dr. You know, Google. someone, yeah, Dr. Google, and also, you know, there's like ads that are like, you know, bananas are the worst food for fat, you know, or <laughs> or diabetes, and it's, you know, it's unfortunately there's just so much information out there. Um, I always sort of laugh at it's like, you know, if it's if it's on the internet, it's probably true, um, which is really not the case. You know, there's just so much misinformation out there. And that's why I do feel like we are important and helpful in sort of going through some of that information that they've heard or they've seen or, you know, they've seen commercials for, you know, certain diets or uh, medications and really just sort of saying like, okay, well, this is why that might not be true. Or like, you know, okay, this part might be sort of true, but let's talk about the research behind, you know, why it's true, why it's not true. But definitely, you know, the more access we have to information out there, it's probably harder for us to try to combat all of it. But I mean, and you also have to think about when we look at um, the prevalence for diabetes in the country is a little over 9%. Um, this is a good amount of a market to be marketing to if you want to sell something. And so I see it on magazine covers. I see, you know, some of these myths perpetuated um, by, you know, some people who sell supplements say, um, you know, that they're, they know that there is a target uh, market for what they, the, the message they want to get out there. And some of the myths surrounding diabetes are, are really, really tempting like oh you can cure your diabetes if you just eat you know enough cinnamon or oh my gosh um, yes that one <laughs> <laughs> or okra or something you know that's if you right. have diabetes that's a really tempting thought um and if you are a company who wants to sell things hey it's almost 10 percent market share is not bad you know so right. um you got to be, you know, uh, I tell people to really be wary. If someone's trying to tell you, sell you something, they, they may not have all factual information. I just remind people that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm. 
and it makes our job not being fun, you know, as far as having to be the heavy to tell people, we're not really going to cure your diabetes, but we are going to control it really well. Um, one more thing I wanted to talk about actually is, so our wellness educators, we actually had Mary Parham on, um, on our last podcast, and I know that she and some of our health coaches work with the um, diabetes prevention program. Yes. Um, and so can, can you guys explain just how that's a little different from the work that you do and how it connects? Yeah, so I think, Mary, um, did you do the class? Did you do the, the DPP class? when it first came out. You did that with yeah. me, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we've been we've both been trained for the diabetes prevention program, but it's a program that they really um they it should it's really run by, you know, the community health workers. Um but we have a background in understanding the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So and okay. so it's sorry, is this something that anyone could sign up for that I know it's a free program and it's a prevention program do you have to have a diagnosis to do this program do the DPP or do our diabetes the, the DP the DPP DPP I think is just there's a there might be a BMI limit I think um, yeah. and then, overweight yep and then if you have a diagnosis of prediabetes or of a strong um, risk for developing diabetes so um, I think a lot of times they do get some people who are at risk, but they also get a lot of people who are really just interested in, in bettering themselves and their health um, and trying to lose a little bit of weight. And I think we, I know myself, I try to utilize not only that program, um, our, our clients who have diabetes can't be a part of that, unfortunately, because once you're diagnosed, you do fall into sort of the diabetes education program instead. Um, and so that's where we that's would step for safety. in. That's for right. safety because they are looking at fat and calories in the diabetes right. prevention program. And once you've been diagnosed, you really need to be looking at carbs. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, but I think definitely we utilize like our health coaches a lot too. So um, say their client's insurance will not cover seeing us or um, a lot of times we get limitations on how many visits we get with people or how many times they can attend class. And so we utilize the health coaches and um, really to be able to continue their care until we're able to get a new referral for the new year. So I know I've got some people who, you know, they're making good progress on controlling their blood sugars. They're still trying to lose weight. So I've given them education on those things. We've talked about a few tips and tricks and goals to set uh, or work on. And then I hook them up with the health coaches to really sort of help them have more check-ins and get additional support until usually it's January 1st, we can get new referrals, which we get more time with people. Mm -hmm. And that's with Great. that's through the integrated care team. Those health coaches mm -hmm. that can go to the home as well. There, that's the nice thing is the diabetes department falls under the care management department. So I have been had patients referred to me for diabetes education who do not have insurance, who who could not possibly come see me for one-on-one -on -one visits because they would be cost prohibitive. But um, they, you know, as a care coordinator as well, I can, you know, say, okay, the hospital has this integrated care team. We can look at getting a, a, an RN for some preliminary education in the home and a health coach and then a social worker to help with that insurance barrier. And we've done this again and again where they get signed up then for main care and then I can see them in my office and then they do the group classes and their A1Cs come down and it's just a, a beautiful 
you know, symphony of coordination around the patient that, yeah. that, that everyone does a good job taking care of them. That's that's so great. I'm so glad that you guys are out there helping people with this. And that really helps me because I've always struggled to connect these two programs. I know we do DPP. I know we do diabetes education. Where's the bridge? And, and you guys have really illustrated that for me today. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much in shedding light on this where, you know, did not realize it affected so many, not just in our community, but here in the country as well. And you know, somebody that's in, in marketing it can totally see how so uh, those uh, myths can be propagated and and uh, and and uh, kept in lexicon for so long. So, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to educate us on on diabetes, how you you know how it comes about, the myths surrounding it, proper uh, techniques on dealing with it, and then you know what is available here in our community to to help manage that. So. Uh, Amory, thank you so much. Patty, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we had a lot of fun, right, Oka? Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for having us on. Yeah, thank you so much. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Oka. You've been listening to Island Health. Until next time. This has been the latest episode of the Island Health Podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Oka Hutchins, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of Island Health, go to mdihospital.org and scroll over the About Us tab on our menu. Until next time, my name is Justin Starbird. Be well.